Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to a special bonus episode of Marvel's Pull List. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. All right, Jasmine, we are going to get into some Moon Knight action because we're very delighted to have Marvel Studios Moon Knight executive producer Grant Curtis with us on the show. Hello, Grant. Hey, thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Yeah, this is great. I'm so excited for this. Before we get into all the Moon Knight of it all, because we have a really cool reading list, uh, this is one that I, I found super fun because it, it's it's a lot of it's a variety of books. Uh, before we get into that, Grant, were you a, were you a comic book reader when you were growing up? You know, yes and no, because I come from a very small town in Missouri, Warrensburg, Missouri, and uh, you know there wasn't a comic book shop right around the corner. It's a small. Uh, town that's that's a mix between academia. There's a university there, the University of Central Missouri, and um, and a lot of agriculture. So it's a town of about thirteen thousand, and it doubles when when school's in session. So uh, it is a smaller town, and so my brother and I had about uh, ten comics. We would pass back and forth, and probably read um, a few Conans uh, a couple hundred times, and, wow. and a few others. So it was a very small library, but a very well um, well read library at that. Conan ain't a bad thing to have, so that's pretty No, not, not at all. I love that. Do you remember what the first, like, introduction to comics were for you? You know, it was really, it was more pop culture um, in a small town in Missouri, you know, and, and that was a mix of things, you know, that was that was a mix of those 10 comics that my brother and I would pass back and forth. My brother is older than me, and so he really introduced me to those comics. My, my library was really a hand-me-down library that he had. And then, uh, you know, it was also our local movie theater, the Campus Twin. And, you know, when I was growing up, once movies found their legs, they would run all summer. You know, if E.T. was popular, it would be one of the two theaters at the Campus Twin for uh, a long run. Same with Indiana Jones. So that was my that was my really uh, entree into comics was was a little bit of comics, a dash of this, a dash of that. You know, admittedly, a dash of Us magazine, you know, when it used to be monthly. And maybe even when it started, it was it was beyond monthly. But uh, it was really just a deep dive into that pop culture storytelling world that uh, I'm lucky and blessed enough to 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 continue to do this to this day. Yeah, I I don't think about it enough. But when you mention, you know, the, the, the small movie theater in your small town reminds me of the movie theater I would walk to as a kid that was across the street from a video rental store that also had comics in it. And it's like that intersection of pop culture is so crucial to, to growing up and getting into any of this stuff, whether it's films or like, I remember I'm a, I'm a little bit younger, but I remember watching um, event horizon in this theater and like right yeah. when it came out and we were, it was like, you know, a couple of us, the power goes out, like, 60% of the way through the movie. And so this is a great horror. It's a horror movie. And we just lost it. It was like, oh, yeah. God. you have these experiences that uh, are so, so crucial to getting into this, you know, this industry, these variety of industries and becoming obsessed and in love with all this kind of entertainment. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. And part and parcel of that for me was also one of the um, points I didn't just point out was also the local arcade, Token Joe's. And uh, and I worked there. And, and, you know, it's it's weird to talk about in terms of comic books, but that was also almost, you know, some of those early games uh, like Ghost and Goblins were really a supernatural narrative that came to life that you were able to pilot to a degree, you know, and uh, it was part of that ongoing narrative experience that you do have when you're a kid that's partly tangible, you know, in terms of the arcade, 
but that supernatural storytelling, it just it just hooks you. Uh, and as you guys know, at the top of that mountain is is Marvel. They do it better than anyone. Absolutely. I love that you brought up video games too, because I, that trifecta of like pop culture is totally the same here for me as well. Like I grew up on those types of stories. I didn't have the arcade, but I definitely had like, you know, a bunch of different consoles and they're all stories. And like you said, Marvel's at the top. Yeah, it is interesting. You know, I am older. I'm 49. I make no bones about it. And it's just, but it is fascinating watching different generational um, plug-in points, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it was, it was the actual video game. You know, you sat there on a stool and you had the joystick and you had your quarters and that was it for, you know, the, the generation now it is consoles and I'm sure it's connectivity with friends and playing. I've not gotten into video games to that degree in this era, in this generation. I would love to, but it's just cool to we see different, different. We got you. If you, if you nice, want a new nice. ride. Take me on the ride. We got you. Take me on the ride. I have one of the one up arcade um, machines that it, they take classic old, old arcade games and they put them in a slightly scaled down arcade cabinet. And so I have one that has like, um, an X-Men game, Marvel game and a Punisher game. My daughter, like as soon, if she comes into my office, she immediately sets up a, a stool to stand on and she's two and a half years old. She sets up a stool, she turns it on and she's like, daddy, I want to play Hulk versus Spider-Man. And so she's like <laughs> that, that tangibility that you're talking about is is never like if a kid can experience it it is so magical yeah it's because it's it's part of the journey mm-hmm. you know it you know on the third floor here at marvel studios there's an arcade and it's uh it's full of marvel games and it's just so it's you know you want to take a break you go you go have that tangible experience and um you know because it's it's all it's all it's it's so cool because it's it's all part of this immersive storytelling and you can plug in wherever you feel comfortable at that moment or whatever you plug in best to. And so there is, there is the arcade on the third floor and there's a, there's a library as you guys know on the second floor and you just, it's part of storytelling. And uh, you know, I think um, there's been books written about, you know, the, the Marvel story is one of the greatest stories, the the most, the longest running stories of all time. And it's true. And it's cool to see different touch points of those narratives. That's so nice. Where's our arcade? I mean, you, yeah, we work in on. our homes. You have your friggin' Xbox right next to you, Jasmine. Still. Well, anytime you want to come to Marvel Studios, I'll have a roll of quarters and uh, we'll go, we'll go jam. <laughs> perfect. 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 I love it. We should get into the Moon Knight of it all uh, because we're here. We're talking about, you know, obviously, Marvel Studios. Moon Knight is wrapping uh, this week, which is exciting. Um, uh, I'm a huge kaiju fan and, and like, big battle fan. So there are some moments in the finale which I was like, that's so cool. The action's cool. The payoffs are cool. Like, it's it's a big, huge, awesome friggin' episode um, after some really amazing emotional pieces right before it. Um, so it's exciting to talk to you in this week and get into um, some of the cool comic book connections and ties and conversations that you guys, I guess, would have would had putting this together. Definitely. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, episode 106, the sixth episode that brings it all to, to a head. Um, you know, we've been pretty responsible, you know, telling a good character piece, a good character story. Uh, and 106, you know, we bring all those character stories um, to a close uh, that's been incredibly told by our directors, Muhammad Diab and Benson and Moorhead and our incredible cast, Oscar, Ethan and May. But uh, we go big in 106. You know, all that all that stuff we've been, you know, squirreling back in our pocket, we bring it in 106. And there's 
not not that there's not scope and scale in 103 and 104, but uh, 106 we go big and bold, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the reaction. Grant, do you remember the first Moon Knight comic you read, or the first time you you like heard about the character? You know, I'll be the first to admit I knew of the character, and I, I probably rep, read some issues here and there. But it wasn't until um, you know Kevin and I talked about his desire to get this thing out there and really pay homage to an incredible character that, as you know, was introduced in 1975 on the pages of Werewolf by Night, issues 32 and 33, uh, and he started talking about the unique platform that Disney Plus brings and how that really dovetailed nicely into uh, a character who deserve six hours, give or take, obviously. Uh, and it was really then that I did the deep dive and read everything Moon Knight has ever popped up in, ever said hello in, uh, you know, ever kicked some ass in. And uh, that that really brought me a new appreciation of the layers of, of Moon Knight because, you know, it, it has been written and drawn differently. As all, as all Marvel comics that span generations and decades have, there's different artists, there's different writers, there's different takes, there's different uh, villains you focus on. But the one thing that I did do think, and there's multiple um, themes that tie together throughout the decades, but one thing that I've always really, really thought Moon Knight comics brought an embarrassment of riches of was the ability to always keep the audience guessing just when you think you've got everything figured out, then you turn the page and your mind was blown. And it's not it's not in a gimmicky way because that, that becomes a, a, a crutch, I think. And um, that's not what Marvel writers do. They, they the, When you turn the page and it blows your mind, it's for character reasons, it's for story reasons. And I think that's why people have been engaged for so long. Absolutely. And kudos to you guys. I know we're not going to be talking about the Jeff Lemire and Greg Smallwood run, but... I know as a fan of that run, you know, there's a there's an element of surprise that you get introduced to right away at the beginning of the run. Uh, you get that reveal right away. But, you know, waiting all the way until episode four and then episode five later to really kind of reveal what's really going on here yeah. um, was a huge surprise. And I am like shocked that you guys were able to like replicate the exact same feeling that I had when I read um, that original run. And that is... I'm like, I didn't see it coming and I'm incredibly impressed with how you guys were able to pull that off. No, uh, amazing storytelling, obvious storyteller, obviously. And, and, you know, kudos to um, Jeremy Slater, our head writer in an amazing writer's room. Um, but, you know, a lot of that, I, I got to be honest, hats off to Oscar Isaac. Um, Oscar, you know, when we looked at all six episodes, Oscar was sitting there going, man, something I'm kind of feeling, um, should we, should we let five bleed into four a little bit? You know, should we, should we front load, um, five into the backside of four? Uh, and a lot of that placement, a lot of that placement narratively, I, I gotta be honest, that was Oscar, you know, Oscar is one of our executive producers. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing in front of the camera, but I got to tell you behind the camera story structure. Um, he nails it. He nails it. He's a wonderful collaborator. You get the vibe that he's feeling it. This, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the entire series, like and leaning in and exciting. And I've listened to some some interviews with him and, and read some stuff, and I was like, you could tell that like he's enjoying it in a way that is exciting for for us as as people who are experiencing this content. But I'm sure it's got to be exciting for you as someone who's collaborating with him on it. It is because it keeps it organic, you know, and that's that's really you know I I, I learned it very early 
uh, in my Sam Raimi days uh, on on the Spider-Man movies and having the great Tobey Maguire and and Kirsten Dunst and Willem Dafoe um, in movie one, uh, and then obviously another embarrassment of riches in the cast of of Spider-Man two and three. But if you don't have commitment from those actors, I mean, sometimes what they're saying is so. It's not goofy, but it's just so. Wait, what you're talking about? Web shooters and <laughs> and spider bites and and a flying green goblin. And if you don't commit as an actor, it becomes very inorganic and very inaccessible, really quickly. And and that's what I learned back then. And that's what it was so refreshing. You know, um, good grief. Decades later, to <laughs> step on another Marvel Studios uh, set and have that same echelon of actor um, and actors. Because uh, the same thing with, you know, obviously Oscar and Ethan and May, they brought it and they committed. Uh, and when you commit, it's just seamless storytelling and um, it's what draws the audience in. If the actors don't believe in it, like how are the audience members going to believe in it? Exactly, exactly. You want to go on this ride with with Mark and Steven in particular. And if... Um, Oscar's not bringing it if he's not bringing that seamless transition from Mark to Stephen and then back from Stephen to Mark, where, where this kooky conshu is on his shoulder trying to puppeteer him. Uh, if he's not committed to that, it it does not end the it doesn't end well, and uh, I think it ends well in, in Moon Knight. Yeah, well, one of the one of the many things I think Marvel Studios does and and those Sam Raimi Spidey movies did is. They don't look down on the material. They embrace it. They're not embarrassed about it. It is, yeah, there's some silliness to it, but it's freaking great. That's why we've all gotten into it over the years, because there's a a wonder and a joy and a fantasticness to it all. So you see it being embraced on the screen. You hear the characters, you know, say these things, which could be silly in some instances, but they all like great performances, you know, make it feel fantastic. And I think, you know, more than maybe anywhere else, it feels like we we continue at Marvel Studios to embrace this stuff. And it's it's so good, man. No, you're absolutely right. And and it, it is one of the things I learned from Sam. And I continue to be blown away and learn every day um, from Kevin Feige. You know, all of these stories are character studies at their heart. And, and I do think in a good way that gets lost um, in some box office and just uh, overall fervor for these stories because, you know, there is a talking raccoon and there's a dancing tree uh, and there's blasters and spaceships and magic stuff, and all this you stuff. Know. Yeah, yeah, the usual stuff. Um, but really, when you boil it down to, it's character, character, character. And that's what uh, Kevin drives home every day. Uh, obviously, that character comes from writers uh, that span the generations and decades in, in Marvel. Uh, and so it's, it's a group effort, but uh, it is character first. And uh, I think that's what makes these stories different. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It makes them evergreen. It makes them evergreen. Yeah. You know, you, you do. You go back and you look at Iron Man. You go back and you look at, um, you know, the first Guardians. You, you pick your poison, name your, choose your adventure. And, and I do think that's why they're evergreen, because you get sucked into Tony Stark, you know, you want to know what's happening with Tony. Yeah, Iron Man's groovy, Iron Man's cool, but what's Tony up to? What's Tony doing? Um, what's Steve Rogers doing? Love Captain America, but what's Steve? What's Steve up to right now? He's on the moon. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 where you get hooked. So, um, yeah, hats off to the amazing storytellers, both in the halls of Marvel Studios currently and the ones that have come before. 
let's dive into into Marvel Studios Moon Knight and the comics that are part of our reading club. Um, we've got six issues here that uh, that we're gonna you know go through. We've got Werewolf by Night thirty two and thirty three. Um, yep. Two issues from the nineteen eighty uh, Moon Knight series issues one and three, and then yep. Universe X number six, and then Moon Knight Annual number one. I guess let's start with those first appearances and and overall, how are these comics chosen um, for for the connection to the show and the QR codes? Well, for a variety of reasons. I mean, some of them are, you know, whenever you talk about where do you jump in at, there's no right or wrong answer. You jump in with whatever floats your boat. But, you know, what I do tell people who ask me is like, oh, if I want to know about Moon Knight, if I want to know about, you know, whatever, you know, uh, Marvel character, where should I jump in? I do tell them you'll eventually find your own rhythm, your own groove, but always at least read that issue one, two, three, that kind of that origin story. Uh, and so although, you know, Werewolf by Night 32 and 33 are not technically uh, Moon Knight's origin story, that's the fuse that lit it all, you know, um, those two, those two, um, those two uh, comics. And so that that's one of the things that was really special for us, you know, when we started looking about, you know, what, what should these six comics be? What do we do? Go back to the beginning. Go back to those great storytellers. Go go back go back to the reason. You know, it, it, as we talked earlier, Moon Knight got started in 1975 in issues 32 and 33 of Werewolf by Night. But then he finally got his comic, his first comic in 1980. But in between, he was also, you know, there was so much, there was so much love for those first two issues. It's like, there's a reason why uh, people wanted to see more of Moon Knight. And so let's go back and read those reasons. And those those initial reasons are Werewolf by Night 32 and 33. So that's why we chose it. Um, and, and also, it's just really good writing. It's really fun storytelling. Uh, Werewolf by Night, amazing character. Uh, you know, Moon Knight, trying to bring him to justice, quote unquote, whatever you want to call um, you know, bringing him in before the committee is, I don't know if that's justice or just uh, a payday. payday. Um, yeah. Not, yeah. not a very high payday, by no, the way. No, I did I the think... math. It was, yeah. it was $10,000 uh, in 1975. And I, yeah. I adjusted it for inflation. It would be about $53,000 today. I don't think that's worth, you know, falling out of a helicopter and almost drowning. And, uh, and then fighting a werewolf, nonetheless. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I don't. I don't think those. That, yeah. Even for inflation, I, I think. Um, I think Mark Spector needs to go back to his accountant and uh, talk things <laughs> over. I love it. Yeah. Um, the look there too in those early issues is, it's not. It gets refined a lot over time. But I love one of the things that I love are the gauntlets, the silver spiked mm-hmm. gauntlets that he has, and just the weaponry awesome. like. He's scary and like you He's know, spooky. Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a great look. You know, you mentioned that you've you read everything. Do you have a particular favorite look or artist rendition of Moon Knight? You know, um, Declan Shelby. Yeah, um, we love Declan. His his Mister Knight. Um, I just think it's groundbreaking. I mean, I, 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 man, you could throw up so many different versions of of how Moon Knight has been drawn over the years, but that's also it's like, where did your brain go to to even <laughs> create that? It's like it's so cool. You this white suit, uh, and so that that's just one that sticks out. It's like, oh wow, there's there's a game changer. Uh, so that's that's the one that really sticks out for me is just something that is. Super cool, super um, unexpected. You know, you, you think your superheroes have to wear, 
you know, a cape or a cowl or or knee pads or, or whatever. And then all of a sudden, a dude steps out in a full strut and a white suit, and it's game on. Yeah. And uh, that's that was pretty awesome. I was just about to say that. Like, we'll get to the annual in a little bit where we see a bunch of different versions of Moon Knight from throughout history, and they all look yeah. like fighters. But then, like, Declan's just like, but what if, you know, we just make him look real sharp, real clean, and a nice yeah. suit, give him a tie, yeah. and still beats up bad guys. ZZ Top, sharp-dressed man. It's uh, <laughs> Mark Spector. <laughs> um yeah i deck will be so happy he's a friend of the show a friend of ours um i adore declan so that that's a great answer yeah. um i was no, thinking i was talking with ryan minerding um a couple weeks ago and for some way we got into the topic of stephen platt and his very short run on uh on moon knight comics and i remember reading that like right as they were seeing them come out and the print run was so low on those, but the art is so dynamic and there's like a hundred billion bullets and, and Moon Knight's like all this, this gnarly look to him. And uh, that that's one for me that I, I will still go back to. There's just a wonderment to the ferocity of that era of Moon Knight. Yeah, Ryan's a spooky dude to talk to because his <laughs> his his mind is just a trap of everything. And his his... His institutional knowledge of artists uh, and and who's drawn what over the years and his internal fandom of all that is just intimidating as can be. <laughs> I'll, I'll be in a meeting with him and I'll just I'll zip it. I just I just I, I close my mouth and I listen because um, he is truly a craftsman working at the top of his game. I, I think whenever you know people really look back on what he's brought to this medium and to pop culture. Um, I hope he gets, uh, I, I, I believe me, I know people think, uh, and know the impact he has, but, um, it's pretty impressive. Uh, you know, we, we had some great artists working on the look of, of Moon Knight. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Oscar came aboard uh, and we had, a, like I said, we were in a really great spot with the suit, uh, when Oscar came aboard, but Oscar started picking at it and turning the screws as you want him to. And like, because again, all, all and when I say picking at it, he was really asking questions from a narrative point of view. It's like, why does the suit look this way? Why, why not this? Why not that? Can we incorporate this? Can we incorporate that? And all of a sudden, you know, Ryan went away and spent some time with with that after speaking with Oscar, and sends an email. I'm sitting in Budapest, and I got an email from Ryan. And I open it up. It's like, oh my gosh, game on. We got it, and just blew everyone away. Uh, and, and I know Ryan's done that many times over and he's just, he's a special person to work with, uh, and, and a joy. What were some of the, the more like distinct features between the two? Like what, what were the major changes? It was really incorporating a little bit more of, um, kind of that chest of arm. It's, you, you can barely see it poking out of the edges, but there's kind of a little bit of, uh, armament, uh, on the chest and pectorals. Also, the wrapping, mm -hmm. making that a little bit more mummy-centric um, because he is being um, imbued, endowed, whatever the right terminology is, with uh, with uh, a supernatural suit from an Egyptian god. So what would that look like? Right. Uh, and that's that's really what Oscar kept pushing at. Um, and, and also, you know, just looking at some of the artists that Oscar liked over the years and talking about that. And, uh, and then also, as we all know, we got to be reverential to the reason why he wears white in the first place. And trying to find that um, that right white uh, to go with when you when you are talking a little bit more of a mummy white, for lack of a better term. And, it's an off white. 
It's an off white. It's an it's off white. It's a little bit of yeah. an aged white. Yeah. Uh, with some with some uh, with some history behind it. But and that's that's really what Oscar was talking about. And and um, you know then you bring in the truncheons and and all the other little uh, little gadgets and um, darts. And a good one. Speaking about the wrapping, but in Universe X, um, I had never read it up until today, and immediately when I saw that suit, I was like, oh, okay, this is where the that inspiration comes from. Absolutely. Um, and it was um, bonkers. It was such a cool world that those writers and, and artists created. And that's one of the other reasons why we wanted to include that issue in this exploration was showing that other cool look. Because when, you know, when we were talking about the look that Declan brought to the table, it's also the look that Universe X brings to this world that we wanted to let the fans get a little bit of a taste of. Because especially in the writer's room, you know, we in the writer's room, we had comics um, plastered all over the place uh, and looks and inspiration. And, and one of those that we drew obviously heavily from was was uh, Universe X and that look. And so, uh, I, yeah, I'm glad I, I'm glad that, you know, when we were looking at what six do we do do um, that was that was really one of the reasons. I mean, uh, Jim Kruger's great narrative, obviously, mm-hmm. but also just the overall look of that world. We wanted to um you know, ushered into some fans who hadn't seen that world. The that trilogy is one of my favorite things uh, in comics. The universe, I love Earth X. I think Earth X is is near perfect. Then Universe X, I did a full dive in all these. In Universe X, I was like, why are why don't more people? Why haven't more people read this and just be like, this is insane, amazing, big Marvel comics weirdness that I want everyone to experience. So hopefully, people who have never read those will dive into this one and go. What the hell's going on? Let me start at the beginning and dive oh, yeah. into more of that because it's super fun. It's super duper fun. Yeah, and, and I think the artist on that was Douglas Braithwaite, if yeah. I say that right. So mm-hmm. I got to give a shout out to to him for for obviously um, co-creating uh, an incredible world uh, and you know incredible version of the Moon Knight suit. Yeah. So this is the first show that we've we've had where we have these QR codes kind of hidden in the background. I'm very curious, like. Was this something like where did that idea come from? Was this something that stems from like I mean like I know as a fan myself like I'm the person who will watch one of these movies or TV shows and like analyze the backgrounds and try to figure out all the puzzle pieces and try to you know figure out if there's clues and stuff. Is that a result? Are these QR codes a result of that type of like fandom and exploration? I I, I will tell you how that came about. I'm not meaning to toot my own horn at all, but um, it was my idea because I was trying to I'm. A, I'm a massive fan of Bob's Burgers, massive <laughs> fan. And w- what I love about that show, those writers, those artists, those producers are always extending the experience, whether it is the opening credits, whether it's the end credits, anywhere in between, you got to remain engaged. And I was trying to think of ways to um, create engagement and to extend the experience in our show. Uh, and I came up with an idea that I can't say what it is because technologically we weren't able to pull it off yet. Um, but then I started talking to the powers that be and the, the technological powers that be is like, well, what can, what can we pull off? Uh, and it was a QR code. And I was in Budapest um, shortly thereafter with my wife going through, uh, I believe, don't quote me on it, but I believe it's the Museum of Terror. Um, and it's just part, it's a, it's a really, it's a really um, incredible yet obviously sad experience with just some of the history of, of, of Hungary and, and Budapest. But uh on, on the corners of the walls, there was a QR code that you could um, uh, scan, and then it took you through that exhibit 
in in you know your native language, whatever that was, and then it also extended the experience of that room, and it got me thinking about the original idea. It's like, man, you know, we can start to pepper this QR code in, and that's how we can deliver the comics to extend the experience, not only to extend the experience, let's be honest, to introduce the experience to a lot of readers because, um, you know, I work here and I hadn't done uh, a huge dive into Moon Knight. And, um, you know, I've had enough conversations after starting this project three years ago that Moon Knight is not on the tip of everyone's tongue, which is absolutely what we we see as a massive positive. But how do we um, usher that experience in and this character into readers who... Uh, even if they just watch the show, will never pick up a Moon Knight comic. And this was a way to do it. And um, people got on board. Uh, people helped me out with the idea. This was not a one-man band at all. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, uh, the um, production designer, Stefania Sella, uh, part of the production design of Episode 2 and the storage facility already had the QR code in oh, it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so, I mean, we had to technically change it in post uh, with visual effects. But uh, it was really a team effort. Um, visual effects jumped in. The the team at Marvel New York, as you can imagine, jumped in. The, the technological team here at, at Marvel and Disney did. And um, I, I think we brought something that extended the experience to the viewer and got them excited, yeah. you know. Um, and, uh, you know, it didn't take long for it to catch on. And that just shows you the power of the brand and uh, and how much people really think of this brand and, and the storytelling within I was going to ask, do you remember like when the first episode dropped? Were you just like, all right, I can't wait for that one person to find the QR code and just share it with the world? Yeah, because, you know, admittedly, it's technology. And the, the QR code in episode one is uh, probably the smallest one, the most unstable, for lack of a technical <laughs> term, because, you know, the camera is moving around. Uh, and so that one was the one that we were most that we were the most worried about. If that's the proper English. But uh, lo and behold, People got it, and word started to spread, and uh, it's still spreading to this day. Love it. I, I mean, I got messages from fans and from friends who were just like, well, this QR code thing is great. Good job. I'm like, I didn't have anything to do with it. I'll pass it along. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad it worked because, you know, when we, we talk about these things, it's a it's a cool idea. You never know. These things may not work. And I'm so, yeah, so glad to to see it take off and, and get people reading comics, which is you know, that's what our friggin' show is about here, but, you know, it's what we all want. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's what's so cool about working at Marvel, the, the collaborative, um, how, it, what's best for the fans? Best for the fans to give them six comics? Cool. No problem. Yeah. Let's, let's figure out how to do it. Let's, and, and that's what, that's what's awesome about working here. That's what's awesome about this studio having so many different, you know, places to navigate into and out of, uh, it's cool. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that people got excited about the QR codes, but really more than anything, as we talked earlier, taking people back to the seventies, taking people back to universe X places, worlds they wouldn't have seen before incredible artists and writers that they would have never been exposed to got exposed to by this goofy QR code. Awesome. 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 Yeah. Speaking of those and some more of the comics, um, we should also mention that Doug Monk um, wrote, you know, the War of by Night issues that he wrote the uh, the Moon Knight issues um, and and helped co-create the the character. Um, but issues one and three of the uh, Moon Knight series that launches in 1980, Bill Sienkiewicz on art. I mean, bonkers. Come and, on. and his wife. Oh. You have Frankie on, on number three as well. Who assisted. Oh. 
So cool. Yeah, that's why, you know, you start naming names and it's a, an embarrassment of riches. It's so cool. And um, and it's it's what's it's, you know, what's 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 awesome about, you know, talking to Sam early on about um, Spider-Man and Sam was humming the theme song and I'm sitting there going, what, what is that? No, the theme song is from the electric company. And then, you know, um, you know, Sam's assistant at the time was, was both younger than, than Sam and I. It's like, no, no, it's the cartoons. It's the, it's eighties or nineties cartoon themes. So again, like kind of like we talked about, you know, earlier, what's your touch points into pop culture? What's cool is you had your touch points into the Spider-Man theme song, but you also have your touch points into the look of, of Moon Knight. No, no, it should be X. It should be Y. It should be Z. And the answer is, yeah, it's all those and more. And uh, that's what was cool about, you know, working with Megan, the uh, costume designer, uh, and obviously um, Ryan and his amazing team. Um, just so many different points of view and nobody's right, nobody's wrong. Best idea, best look wins. And um, the one that's on the screen is pretty groovy. Yeah, it is. I want to make sure we... we- mentioned the last issue uh, before we have to let you go is uh, Moon Knight Annual from, and this one, I was, when I saw this on the list, I was like, wow, that's a recent pull from 2019 written by Cullen Bonnard by Ibrahim Mustafa, who just keeps getting better and better. So good. And Matt Horak, who's, who's wonderful. Um, and this one is, is super cool. Cause I remember talking about this, you know, on, on the show, just it's Moon Knight versus Kang, which is, yes. that's fun. Oh yeah. It's a time travel yeah. adventure. It's, Oh, I love this issue so much. So do I. And there's so many looks there. There's so many different aesthetics. There's so many different canvases on which uh, th- that issue um, in particular, but uh, it's an ongoing story, um, paints on. It's like, yeah, we got we to gotta get that in there because it, it, it does, as, as you're kind of alluding to, represent a little bit more of the new school. But in terms of the, in terms of the um, journey that Moon Knight goes, well, I shouldn't say Moon Knight, I should say the Moon Knights go through in that is just, it's cool. It's one for the ages. And we were really happy that we were able to get that one in there as well. Um, I know we need to let you go in a little bit, but uh, were there any issues of Moon Knight that you weren't able to put into the com- into the show that you really wanted to? Uh, you know, I, I don't know, because, you know, it, just in terms of to, to you know, let you peek behind the curtain um, a little bit, you know, we, when we, when we were in the writer's room with Jeremy Slater and the team, it wasn't that we grabbed one particular issue and held it up and said, we must do this. <laughs> it was, it was all of us and Jeremy included um, uh, reading all of the issues and finding those touch points. Kind of like we talked about earlier. Again, what's your touch point? Mine video arcade, mine was us magazine, the campus twin, whatever. You get in there and you find your various touch points of Moon Knight that do make it a narrative that spans decades. And you look at those touch points and it is the, the very intense character study that is Mark Spector. It is the globetrotting adventure, Egyptology centric that is, you know, Mark, story, Mark Spector's origin story. It is the fun of the MCU and the Marvel comics. It's the spookiness. Things go bump in the night. Things are grittier. Gorier, admittedly, uh, in the Moon Knight IP, it's finding that. Um, and then it's finding that unexpected wackiness. And, and I mean that in, in a good way, just the fun uh, of the Moon Knight uh, IP. And you start looking at all of those together, and then you start weaving those threads together uh, in the tapestry. And so it's, you know, I don't know if it's like, oh, we weren't able to do this, because um, I think we were able to do a lot of a lot of things and pay homage to a lot of 
storytellers and artists, even if it doesn't sock you in the face, that it's like, that, oh, this is a one-to-one -one representation of this comic or this particular look of Moon Knight. It's really the tone that I think seeps through the ages that we were able to grab onto and ride that wave. Uh, and that's, that's what I thought was really cool. And again, collaborative effort, Jeremy Slater, Oscar, Muhammad, Benson and Moorhead, uh, so many, so many other people I can't name, obviously Kevin, Lou, Victoria, Brad. It's just, it's from the top down. It's collaborative, best idea wins, best look wins, um, best tone wins. Uh, and I think throughout the, the work of so many people, uh, I mentioned earlier, Stefania Sella, our, our production designer, and then also, you know, Ethan and Ethan and Oscar really getting in there. And we all know them as, as storytellers in front of the camera. They did a hell of a lot of work behind the camera on this. And like, I think we should do this. You know, I don't think you'd mind me telling because I, I think I've I've um, I've read him talking about it. The opening sequence, Ethan putting the glass in his shoe and all that. That was a, that was a personal thing that he had as an actor. It's like, what is my backstory? What do I know that no one else knows? Uh, and he told that little secret that he had as an actor to Benson and Moorhead. And then Benson and Moorhead came over to me on set and kind of whispered, like, Ethan just told us this little nugget. Um, <laughs> what, what do you think? It's like, we got to do it. If Ethan's comfortable with us filming that, um, it's such a beautiful, beautiful moment uh, in the character of Harrow that introduces you there. And then it makes the creepiness in the Alps so much more tangible and personable, personal and accessible that you wouldn't have had without that. And so the fact that Ethan opened up his um, uh, artist toolbox and allowed us into that and by default allowed the viewers into that, you know, there's special moments like that that um, admittedly producing is a, a lot of hard work. It's a lot of thankless work. Uh, it's a wonderful job. Uh, I'm not complaining. You're preaching to the choir. That you, mm -hmm. that you, <laughs> but you do get those little nuggets into true artists' um, technique. And uh, that's one I don't know if, if a, a spotlight gets shined off on enough in this. Like you want to look at an artist working at the top of their craft. Um, I, I think Ethan spilled the beans in a good way to his fellow um, actors. Like, here, here's some little things I hang on to. Uh, pay attention. And uh, it, it's pretty cool. I was just, you know, as you mentioned, Ethan as Arrow, I, uh, I was like, the just the small line of him, it's like a couple of times at the show talking about being Moon Knight previously. And that aspect, I was like, oh, man, there's just so much to this world. And I love the, the bits of world building that have gone around all these characters that, uh, you know, even if we never get to see it, our imaginations can run wild with the stuff and, and the stories that we we think about. It's it's really cool. Built a lot it, in those six episodes. Absolutely. And that was another one of those little, like I said, with the long hours, you take those other moments of that you just you look back on and you kind of witness something that you were the fly on the wall. And, you know, we would get together um, with Oscar uh, and May and Ethan and um Benson and Moorhead and Mohammed, his wife, Sarah, um, Saber and Peter, two of our writers there, and Nick, um, who works with us here at Marvel. And on weekends, we would hole up um, in the four seasons. You know, we would get a conference room because of COVID. You know, any place that we could um, uh, adhere to the COVID uh, guidelines. And we would just start reading through the scripts and reading them again and reading them again. And May would raise her hand. It's like, you know what? I understand what you're going for with Layla's character beat here, but it's inorganic. But here's an organic way in. Let's think about this. Gold. Write it. Go on. 
and it was just it was it was a constant grind in a good way uh and and i again i, I it, it, i'm throwing may in there as well obviously may oscar and ethan are not actors they're storytellers and the the, the brush with which they paint is, is acting but first and foremost they're just narrative masterminds and the three of them uh, and then obviously our great writers and directors that i mentioned before those sessions were a grind, but they were a pure joy. I mean, they'd be six hours long, eight hours long, um, but it was just, it continued to plus it. And uh, that's that's what, when you hire actors of that ilk, that's what you get on the screen. Um, and it's the big picture is it's not just acting, it's storytelling. I love that. Uh, I, we could talk with you for, for quite a while about it. I, in May in particular, she was a revelation in this show. Um, so good. Grant, thank you for coming on and talking comics and Moon Knight and so much more with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Grant. That was great. Anytime. My pleasure. True honor. And thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.